We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This is Greg Olson here to tell you about my new podcast, TE1. On the show, I had a chance to talk to my fellow tight ends who have revolutionized the position from an extra lineman to a dual threat superstar. And just like my guests have changed the game, this year, NFLSundayTicket.tv is revolutionizing your NFL viewing experience. Stream all the live out-of-market NFL games every Sunday on your favorite devices and never miss a moment from your favorite players. Visit NFLSundayTicket.tv and use the promo code GREG88 at checkout and get 15% off your subscription. That's NFLSundayTicket.tv and the promo code GREG88. Subscribe to TE1 and get NFLSundayTicket.tv, an unmatched dual threat. Welcome to episode 211 of the Barcelona Podcast, home to the most influential voices in the FC Barcelona community, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Dan Hilton, and I'm again joined by Frances Tomas, Barca columnist featured on ESPN, Barca Blog, and many others. Frances, since we last spoke, Barca can only be described as bougerie, utter madness, and as I say this, I also have to apologize because maybe it's just the Barca rubbing off on me, but you might be understanding our listeners, you're hearing this on our Zoom audio because I seem to have some technical difficulties. So we apologize for the Zoom audio, but it seems to be congruent with all the madness and chaos that is happening at the club that we root for. Yeah, hola cules. Um, I think, you know, I don't want to disclose too much of what goes on behind the scene, but I think, Dan, you were punching the microphone after the last podcast. Um, so I don't think you can, you can use this as, as an excuse. Um, no, the club, the club is in crisis, isn't it? And um, Bartomeu has decided to skip the page and um, not use any self-critique and just blame everybody else for something that he's ultimately responsible for, isn't it? Yeah, I think the problem was I had all my equipment set up in a 442. And we know that the 442, just, it's a formation that doesn't work. So maybe I need to move around my equipment a little bit more. So I think on today's show, there are no listener questions. There's only Rhonda because we have basically four major topics to hit. And they all kind of work in conjunction with one another. And we're going to start with Setien and Abidal both leaving the club. Those are the exoduses. And then the rumor that is now a few days old from Marcelo Bechler that Messi would also reportedly be wanting to leave. And then we're going to hit Bartomeu and his interview that you could have seen on Barca TV about the elections, about the untouchables and all those different things. And then we are going to figure out what Ronald Koeman could bring to Barcelona. This is the big story, but we're actually going to hold off on that and get through some of the things that 
led up to this. So I think it's going to be a little easier to go in chronological order here. So we begin with the first domino that we saw after Bayern Munich, and that was the exodus of Kike Setien from the club. And that was followed by then Albidal leaving as well. And, bef- and in between those two was the reports of Messi leaving. So Frances, I think first and foremost, we should address the idea of the Argentine leaving the club. And I'll let you basically give you an open floor to weigh in on that. Okay. All right. So um, I would totally understand Messi wanting to go. Um, I think that g- given everything that he's given over the years and, and who he is for the club and you know, what he signifies for himself as, a, as an individual, as a brand, but most, much more importantly, and this is, this is the key point, much more importantly for the club or Barca. He's been tiptoeing over the gaps that Barca have um, generated over the years. Um, if it wasn't for Messi, um, I don't think the club gets to the situation that we're in today because, you know, the, the, the people that, uh, the veterans specifically, that um, are just far more inefficient now than they were three or four years ago would have actually uh, been called out earlier because, you know, Messi, because of his brilliance, and obviously you cannot blame him for this because he's doing his job and much better than pretty much every other player on the planet. He's just hidden the fact that everyone around him is, is just declining. And because of that, I wouldn't blame him if he left. Um, that doesn't mean I want him to leave. I think that, that Messi still has a job to do, uh, which is handing on the button to the next generation. And uh, I think Messi, obviously, we're going to talk about Kuman later, but Messi needs to understand that if he really loves Barca as much as he clearly has proven over the years, then it is time for him to not just be the key protagonist on the pitch, but actually allow the people to, to, you know, to step up around him, uh, to be that nurturing persona that obviously Xavi was in his last year and to, to, to a degree also Andres Iniesta. And obviously even Puyol with Piquet himself, didn't he? So just he needs to be a protagonist, uh, but at the same time allow others to grow because unless other people grow around him, the post-Messi era, which obviously could be much closer than anyone anticipated and obviously wanted, um, it could be an absolute disaster. So Messi's role needs to change. We cannot be that Messi dependent anymore because he's not really leading us into anything that is good or anything that builds for the future. I still think the best version of Barcelona in 2020-2021 at least does involve and does revolve around Messi, but in a different way than we've seen it over the last few years. And I think the ability the club has, and by club, I, I really truly just mean Ronald Koeman, the way he has the ability now to set up a team and potentially with movement, because if there is no personnel change for Barcelona, if they are truly unable to get rid of so much of that aging core, then there's nothing that any manager, as I said last week, that Ronald Koeman now, there's nothing that Koeman can do if the squad he has is still the squad that was defeated by Bayern Munich, because that squad because of their age as well, has to be so dependent on Messi. So there does have to be some kind of change as far as the tools at Coleman's disposal to be doing anything with it. And I definitely hear and understand the arguments of people saying, well, they want Messi and his legacy to succeed as well. And there are people that are rooting for Barcelona, but are simply just fans of Messi and not fans of the club and just fans of Messi and want him to succeed. So they want him to go anywhere so that he can be happy and they they believe that if he's given so much to the club that he's never going to win one at Barcelona and the club's accepting that. And so it's time for a new era and that you want Messi to not tarnish his legacy by staying with Barca and not winning a Champions League for the rest of his career, but going somewhere else like a Man City and giving it uh, the best chance he has. But the Champions League is still all about luck. It's all about, not all about luck, but a lot of it has to do with being in the right place at the right time, getting the right opponents and things like that happening. So there is no guarantee that Messi would go somewhere else and win a Champions League either. And I would say that we've seen it over the last few seasons, even since we started this pod, Frances, that 
over the course of a few weeks or a few months, the fortunes of a club can completely change. Because of all the mess that is Barcelona, we don't expect that they would come out in La Liga in now three weeks' time and wind up being, after three months, 11 points ahead of everyone else in first and everyone else behind them. We don't expect that to happen. But let's say by December, Ronald Koeman has Barcelona six or seven points at the top of the table, right? Then how much has the narrative changed? How much is it that, oh, well, there seemed to be a plan and without giving credit to the board because they're leaving regardless and they're, the, they're who we're going to talk about next, Bartomeu and company. But let's say Ronald Koeman does hit the ground running and Barcelona end up being a really good squad. And then everybody in the media, I mean, I guess our, even ourselves included, who, got, who, who are at this moment saying it's all gloom and doom moving forward, the narrative completely changes if you rattle off a bunch of wins. And then that second referendum really does come when, whether it's Komen in charge or not, when European competition really heats up again next spring, when yeah. the club is going to be entering a time with a new president, which it's just, it's so much going on at the same time. It's hard to parcel through what's what. Yeah, I think it would depend on how we get there. So if we are six points ahead, which I don't think will happen by December, I think most people wouldn't expect that to happen really, but it could do because, you know, we do have a good squad. Uh, obviously, there are some people that need to, need to move. There are some people that need to come in. There are some other players that need to be trusted and given a chance. But overall, um, I do trust that, you know, once, the, once Kuman and, you know, the new sporting director, Planas, actually get together, they may end up with a good squad, you know, a squad that obviously has Messi, um, as I just described before, just obviously in a lesser role, but it could well happen. But I think the key is not whether we were leading or we're, you know, five points behind, five points ahead. It will be on how we're doing that. Because if uh, Kuma makes no change whatsoever, which I expect him to do changes, obviously, but if there's no change whatsoever and we're leading the Liga, then we're, all what we're doing is what Bartomeu seems to be doing, which is just, you know, tiptoeing over something that has to be dealt with. And, you know, the, the, the key point in Kuman's appointment, really, above any other candidates that obviously was willing to come, obviously not Xavi because he didn't want to come with this board, clearly, um, it would be how we get there. And I think his main role would be leading the clear out and leading the way so that the post-Messi Barca can actually be successful. So I think we can't really be focusing on results in the short term anymore. I think we need to look at long-term solutions. And uh, let's just hope that Kuman can, can take that forward himself. Well, unfortunately, he will not have Ter Stegen, who's out for the first few months due to surgery. So that means that a possible netto transfer, not that he would have been worth more than 10 euros, but uh, 10 million euros, rather. <laughs> Neto's a little bit better than 10 euros. But so with uh, Ter Stegen out, expect Neto to still be at the club. I know those are calling for Naki Pena. These are just a, other little minutiae. Fortunately for the goalkeeper position, the only thing you have is other goalkeepers that take that role. So yeah, it'll be Neto or it will be Pena. We'll have the sticks for the first few weeks of the season and hopefully Barca can get through that. But yeah, I, I just said six points because that seemed like the most unlikely scenario. But as I said, if Barca wind up really hitting the ground running and looking good, the narrative changes awful quick. And I would remind people that the club is in complete chaos and disarray this week. And then in two, three weeks time, nothing will change when it comes to the top. But as, as far as the things on the field, and then Komen taking over the vision of the club and the ability the club has to play, then that might change a bit. So I think the next place to go here is to the elections, which Bartomeu, again, trying to find our timeline here, that Bartomeu then did an interview with Barca TV saying that the elections will be in March, that it doesn't make sense for him to step down now and leave this kind of hold this vacancy. And by having them in March, it gives the new board plenty of time this meaning the elections were brought from June of 2021 up to March. So it was a, an acceleration of the elections, but it was just to March and not all the way to now, because now it wouldn't be an election more. It would 
be him resigning, which would then force elections to happen, which Bartomeu is saying it just doesn't make sense, he said, at least for him to be doing that. Yeah, I, I, he, he used a phrase that it's weird, um, or at least maybe I'm not intelligent enough to understand. He talked about institutional responsibility, institutional intelligence. Uh, if he had any of that, he would have resigned already, you know, um, because basically the election was going to happen next year anyway. Um, it was meant to happen around, well, by the end of the season, obviously the, the, the president, in this case, obviously Bartomeu, can decide to call it whenever he wants. But you know, he didn't do it in July, which I think obviously is a, is a good move because if you do it, if you do the election in July, then really you've messed up the season that was about to start in three or four weeks time. And then you messed up the preparation for the next one. So I think bringing it back to March is better than having them in July. But what I don't understand is his inability to see that if he had resigned now, then, you know, they would have given, because, you know, let's face it, the season that's coming in, um, it could have been for the new president to plan. So the new president may not have wanted Kuman to take charge. The main, and, and to be honest, Kuman has signed two years. So the next president may very well sack Kuman as soon as they come in. If it's obviously not a continuist um, uh, candidate or that Kuman doesn't win a sextete next year or a triplete at least, uh, which is obviously in, in English is the treble. Um, so no, I think that you know, these, these short-term decisions like don't really make much sense because you know, you're, you're, you're wasting more money, really. And um, Kuman's appointment, I think, is just one of uh, Bartomeu's tricks to, to just skip over the crisis and just not take full responsibility of something that is his responsibility. I mean, um, I listened to the full, obviously, I go Barca TV as well, and I listened to the full interview in Catalan, and he was saying some really, really weird stuff. So before, Frances, you get to those weird things that he said, let's hit the ad break, and then we'll have that on the other side. From tight muscles, tough workouts, signs of aging, to simply making it through each busy day, everyone understands what it feels like to be tense and sore, so everyone can benefit from TheraOne CBD products. Started by Dr. Jason Wersland, TheraBody exists to provide you with the best scientifically validated natural solutions to help soothe your body and relax your mind. It started with a revolutionary Theragun percussive therapy device when Dr. Jason saw the benefits of using CBD in his treatments. He created TheraOne to bring your CBD products done right. A lot of CBD products claim organic, but still contain up to 30% filler, and these fillers are potentially toxic. TheraOne tests their products four times before they get to you. Every product is USDA certified organic, grown in the U.S., and their CBD extracts are the highest quality available anywhere. Use TheraOne's warming lotion in your morning routine, the cooling lotion or massage oil to recover, body balm for targeted relief, and sleep tincture to drift into a deep night's sleep. And now through Labor Day, Monday, September 7th, TheraOne is offering our listeners a buy one, get one free for all TheraOne products. But you've got to go to theragun.com slash bluewire. If you don't love what you get from TheraOne, send it back for a full refund within 30 days of purchase. This is not something TheraOne is likely to do again. Buy one, get one free at theragun.com slash bluewire, but only until Labor Day. Go right now to theragun.com slash bluewire. Sunday, Sunday, Sundays are coming back in the NFL. With NFL Sunday Ticket.tv, you can stream every live out of market NFL game every Sunday afternoon on your favorite devices, plus NFL Red Zone and DirecTV Fantasy Zone channels. Never miss your favorite teams and favorite players. No matter where you live, NFL Sunday Ticket.tv is your key to the most glorious Sundays ever. Use the promo code BLUEWIRE at checkout to get 15% off your subscription. Visit NFL Sunday Ticket.tv and use promo code BLUEWIRE. All right, Frances. So, again, we're continuing to speak about Bartomeu's interview that he gave to Barca TV. And you're right. There were a few odd things that he had to say that just seemed to be a disconnect with what Kule's 
and socios are understanding as a state of the club? Yeah, he described Barca's crisis and very clearly and in repeated occasions in, in, you know, it wasn't a long interview, but he mentioned this three times. He said that Barca's crisis is only a sporting crisis. So in other words, there's no problem with the institution. It's just that the sporting section of, of, of football, and he made that quite specific as well. So the football sporting crisis is what um, had generated the turmoil. But, you know, last time I checked, Barca is a football club. It's football club Barcelona. So for him to say there's a crisis in the sporting aspect of the club, well, that's the club, isn't it? I mean, it's not a club of petancas or, you know, that's marbles or canicas or anything like that. It's a football club. So if the football club is in crisis, if, if Barcelona's first team of football is in crisis and has been humiliated with the worst ever defeat, which is 2-8, that, you know, every time I walk out the door, people are still laughing at me, surely that should be enough for him to realize he's, made a, he's failed and, and, and he's made a fool of himself and he's disrespected the institution that, you know, supposedly he loves so much. Um, it is unthinkable of anybody else um, to, to say anything like that. I mean, it is unthinkable of anyone leading any business and bringing up the worst results in the business history, which is over, what, 114 years now? And then them getting away with not being sacked. It's just, and obviously being blind about it, or, or, or even worse, pretending to be blind about it. It's just... It's just terrible. And, and then to analyze that deeper, the economy is appalling. You know, the, the club's economy is in tatters. We cannot really make signings anymore because of the, you know, um, Malgastar, the, 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 the really bad investments we've done lately. Socially, it's also a shambles because, you know, there's people like you and me and pretty much the thousands of people who listen to this podcast every week. By, by the way, thank you so much. Um, for for sticking with us, especially during these these times, they're not happy either. So you know, if the if the club, football club Barcelona, has a footballing crisis, the economy doesn't allow the club to sign and to move forward as they wanted to be. And obviously, we're in the middle of the worst pandemic um, in the history of the world. And then socially, the socios and the the million of club members and supporters around the world are not happy. Then what else is there? I mean. He did mention that Barca Foundation is doing greatly. And to be honest, I'm very happy about that. But really, that's not the point. I mean, the women's team may be doing amazingly, but that's not what the club is about. I understand he's part of it, but that's really, that's not enough for him to justify staying and sort of delaying the inevitable build-up, the, the, the rebuild of, of the club um, for eight months just because he thinks that he's got, you know, enough of uh, enough of support in his own head to continue. I just don't get it. Um, calling an earlier election, I think is just uh, skipping over and moving forward for no particular reason step. It's, it's baffling. Yeah, I mean, at this point, it's charred earth behind them. And I think so many Kool-Aids are saying that things certainly need to change, but there has to be some kind of order. There has to be some kind of way that this goes about. And so this is not a defense of Bartomeu, but my question for everybody is that, and this is the fault of Bartomeu, that because of the transfers that have gone on for years and years and years, and now you have Roman Planas taking over for Abidal. But Roman Planas is not a new hire. He is not just a paper mm-hmm. over something. He was working with Abidal on those transfers over these years. And wh- how much autonomy Abidal and Planas have even had over the last few seasons is a big question mark as well because of the players that were brought in, clearly were not brought in for managers with the 
input of managers over the last few seasons. They were simply bought in for marketing reasons or because these seem to be the destined Galacticos that Barcelona, the club, wanted to bring in. And so when Bartomeu says in that interview about his untouchables, Ter Stegen, Messi, De Jong, Semedo, Wenglei, Dembele, Griezmann, and assuming Fati and Puj, I think it's understandable he was talking about the youth coming through. He was still talking about those two, even though they're first team players. But when he mentions those untouchables, all the players that we've spoken about, Luis Suarez, and Busquets is the weird one because he keeps being put in this category. And we're going to get to talk a bit more about him with, with Komen in a second. But Busquets, PK, Alba, the, the ones that we keep talking about over and over again about being the older players, Vidal and Rakitic, with gigantic wages that will need to be kind of phased out. Okay? And by phased out, we either mean stay at the club and maybe be put on the bench by a Komen, or we're talking about finding a deal to get them out of the club. All of those players, as of August 19th, are still on, on Barcelona's wage bill. They're still on the squad list. So until those kind of things actually do happen and you're able to move some of those older players, the problem is going to persist. Nothing has changed. And I think my, my big issue with these conversations that you keep hearing from the club is the consistent belief that COVID was the thing that really took Barcelona off track, that COVID was the monkey wrench that you weren't expecting that made things go wrong. But in truth, and I keep thinking about this with Griezmann and Coutinho, the problems were with, I, I, thinking back to the, the shows that we did when Griezmann and Coutinho, not Dembele, because Dembele... When Neymar left, Barca were going to need a winger. And so Dembele, regardless of whether or not he's had injuries, hasn't been able to perform, that transfer, at least on paper, made sense because he was trying to replace a winger with a winger with a lot of potential. And so that made sense. But when we were looking at the Coutinho thing, you and I were saying that Barca play a 4-3-3. And even if Ernesto Valverde also went to play a 4-4-2, Coutinho's position doesn't exist on the field. And having him play as a winger is never where he was going to be natural. You and I were saying that before he ever signed with the club. So the fact that he failed at the club and had to be sent out on loan and is now this black mark on the club's transfer business is not surprising. And then Griezmann, when he was, he, the whole thing about he had the documentary and then he winds up staying with Atletico Madrid, that was an embarrassment enough that should have said he shouldn't come to the club. But our main reason for pushing against Griezmann was because he's best as a secondary striker, which is not a position that exists for Valverde when he was signed still wasn't going to exist if Setien said, hey, I want to go back to a 4-3-3 or even a 3-5-2. Griezmann still doesn't really make sense next to Suarez, who was going to be at the club and was the institution at the club. And throwing in Messi, Messi and Griezmann just never was going to make sense. So my point is that those big players that were brought in, those Galacticos, I mean, that really, I think, is the black stain on Bartomeu's few remaining years. It's not even that COVID made it more difficult because what were they going to do? Bring in another player, bring in a huge other player without reinforcing the rest of the squad because one Latura Martinez for 110 million euros does not fix the structural issues that that persist up and down this roster and I think that is something that I argued with you a long long time ago was that instead of saying that Barca can only add players that are starting 11 caliber the problem is that if you only bring in players that are starting 11 caliber you're never going to be able to reinforce this squad because Barca will never go out and spend big money on a left back that is going to replace Jordi Alba someday. Or they're never going to go out and spend huge, huge money reinforcing another position that needs to be reinforced other than taking a chance on a forward or a midfielder that is just, you know, they, they might have a lot of stars and glitz to them, but they just might not be the important players. And Frances, I'm going to let you respond. And then I promise we are going to move on to Ronald Koeman because all the ideas that we've been talking about, it's kind of going to not be put on the shoulders of Ronald Koeman, but 
the choices he makes are going to dictate how the club is able to respond to this, which I think is unfortunate because again, we're talking about Bartomeu and the buck is going to very quickly be passed to the man that he has selected in Komen to take over. Yeah, you made several points there. I'm not going to repeat what you said. So I'll just say that if you don't, what you said about the, the signing starting 11 players, I think that's what we should do. Just sign starting 11 players. Um, and the reason is that if you need a left back and you cannot, you do not invest in someone who is world-class, like for example, Alfonso Davies right now, as we saw, he destroyed us the other day. Then you just bring in someone from La Masia and you trust them. Because Cucurella could have done that. Grimaldo could have done that. Um, even, you know, Miranda potentially could do that as well. So you've got several positions that come through through the B team, uh, players that have been nurtured the Barca away for many, many years. And, you know, they may not be excellent straight away. They may not be excellent in the first four or five months. But, you know, if you trust the youth, then they eventually will step up and they will get there. I mean, um, Johan Croy won the Champions League with Sergi Bajuan and, and Ferrer. They're both from La Masia. Um, and I could go on and on. Uh, you know, we won the 2006 Champions League with Ulage as our left back. You know, and Ulage really hasn't played, didn't play too well at all. But yeah, he agree. was someone that uh, Reichard actually trusted. He did the job that he needed. He wasn't fantastic moving forward at all. But defensively, he gave Barca everything he needed. Uh, and, you know, the list, the list is endless. So the La Masia players, when trusted, always, always respond. And if they don't respond, then you just find another La Masia player until you actually can spend heavily on, um, on bringing someone who can actually improve the position if finances um, obviously allow. Um, the rebuilding of the squad. It's very easy to go on Twitter and Facebook and wherever, or write it on the walls of your house or take a spray can and write it around your building, in your, in, you know, wherever you live. It doesn't change what reality is. It doesn't matter how loud you shout. It doesn't matter even if you type in capitals, which obviously seems to be, um, seems to be something that people really like to do these days. But it doesn't, it doesn't make you any more right. The Barca players, the Barca Sagradas, the, the veterans, the spoiled veterans that uh, obviously are 32, 33 years old, they newsflash they are not going to leave Barca just because someone tells them they need to leave Barca, you know? And uh, I know he's a Madrid player, but look at Gareth Bale. Who's telling you that Jordi Alba is not going to sit back for the next three years and do nothing? He's got a contract, which is incredibly lucrative contract, until 2024, the summer of 2024, when Alba will be 35 years old. Who's the genius that decided this? Between Bartomeu and obviously Abidal, but you know, the, the backer needs to, needs to lie with the president. Busquets, 2023. Piquet, obviously he said that if you want me to stay aside, I will go. Uh, it remains to be seen if he, if he would do that. And also it remains to be seen if he should actually leave. Uh, Luis Suarez, he's already said uh, this morning, it was all over Sport and Mundo Deportivo. Um, he didn't say it himself, obviously, but his entorno, his entourage, have said that he's not going anywhere. Uh, he's got a contract, why, why should he leave? Um, Arturo Vidal, he doesn't have to go. He's got a contract. Who's, who's going to push him out? I mean, what's the worst that they can do to them? No play? And then if you're 33 and uh, you've got no offers that match what you're getting paid at Barca, do you really leave when you've got your family? These people have families. So uh, when your family is all happy in Castel de Fels and uh, Sitges by the beach and you go training for an hour or two a day, do, do you really think they, they're going to be forced out? The only way that they could possibly do it is to um, let them go on free. And let, let, let someone like, um, I don't know, Busquets or Alba, for example, or Luis Suarez on a free may not make financial sense. But then again, it makes less financial sense to have someone who the manager doesn't trust that would just be, you know, collecting the paycheck at the end of the month. So it's a really, really complicated thing. 
that um, people seem to be shouting about in Twitter, but actually it's not about what the club wants to do. As Rakiti has shown us over the last two years, it's about what the player with a contract actually wants to do. You're right. And the whole idea of, of paying out a contract and terminating that contract, you want to talk about, again, once again, Bartomeu said that the club is in a sporting situation, not an economic situation. So, I, I mean, I think the realistic way to look at this is the way we had looked at this before the 8-2 was that Rakitic and Vidal, if you're going to pay out a contract and terminate contracts, it's probably those two because they're the, the cheapest of that whole bunch. And Rakitic's contract is only for one more season. Same thing with Vidal. So you can actually find a way to pay those out in the way that, as you had mentioned, Alba, don't put him on that list. There's no way that Barca is going to be able to foot the bill to say Alba doesn't give us enough that we have to pay out and terminate his contract to basically let him go on a free just to bring, just that we also have to pay somebody else to then come in and become our starting left back. That's not possible. So I think, again, it's being realistic about what change can actually happen and having five to six players sitting on the bench because they've been frozen out of the club is physically impossible, especially if you're going to expect the rest of that core, including Roberto and Messi and Ter Stegen, to remain at the club happy and to have that dressing room work. Because when you have these big personalities, if they're still at the club, they're not leaving and they still have lockers. And even if they're sitting in the stands, they're still a part of the club. And I mean, that just would be something that is certainly not fair to Coleman, but it's just not possible. It's, it's possible to do that to one player, to a Gareth Bale, if one player is having an issue, but five or six players, it's just, it's a whole different picture. So I, I agree. I think as frustrating as it is to say that we're kind of stuck in this way, it's sad because I, I see people say, well, if the club is run, being run the way it is and we're in the point where we are, then I'm out. I'm not going to watch anymore. That's unfortunate, and I'm, I'm sorry for those people. But for everyone else, it's a matter of wanting that change but understanding that now this structural change is going to be – it's not a wasted year because Komen is still going to be taking over. You're still going to have the Messi and the players and the young players that are going to be brought through. I mean, what say if Trincao scores 14 to 15 goals and winds up just fitting perfectly into whatever Barcelona are doing – and then all of a sudden you go, well, I mean, looks like Barcelona has Fati, who scored seven goals last season as a 17-year-old. And now all of a sudden he scores 10 goals and 11 goals. And then things just become more possible. And I'm going to try to be optimistic about those things. And, and we're going to move on to Komen here. Frances, as far as being a manager, I'll talk more about that. And then you can speak about what it means to have another club legend like Komen coming in. Because as a manager, and I put this on the YouTube channel as well, there has been a lot of up and a lot of down. And I don't really think we know what we're getting, but I'll try to figure it out. But first and foremost, Frances, what does it mean, once again, do you think personality-wise, to have a guy that has been known to be a disciplinarian, a guy that has been known to butt hundred players if he has to, what does it mean to have a, a manager like that? And especially, unlike Setien of Alverde, a manager that is a club legend at Barcelona taking over with his kind of personality. Well, first of all, I want to say that YouTube video that you published yesterday is fantastic. And I think everyone listening to this podcast should straight go straight into YouTube and go and check that out because it's not just about opinion. Uh, we normally do that in the podcast uh, and you do that in the YouTube channel as well. But that YouTube video was very, very informative. There were some things in there that I, I didn't know myself. So, so certainly go and check that out. Um, then I also want to mention before I go into Kuman himself, the fact that Bartomeu blatantly lied uh, in the interview. He said that Ronald Koeman was the, his first choice to replace Valverde in January. In fact, he also did say that, um, and this, this honors him, to be honest, um, he said that he was too late to replace Valverde and that he should have done it following the Liverpool debacle, which obviously everyone with half a brain around the world understood. And certainly people who watch Barca clearly knew that was the case, but he didn't do it. 
Um, he did admit that was a mistake, so that's good of him, which is, which is a positive. Um, but then he goes to say, which he didn't need to say, that Kuman was his first choice. But Kuman was never his first choice. He was always chubby. That's been reported widely. Um, I was listening to Catalonia Radio, and there's, there's someone who is a journalist there who's very close to Xavi, and he even knows all the calls that have been going in and out uh, because they've got that sort of relationship. So he doesn't need to say that at all. Um, beyond that, and obviously going to the, to the question you asked, uh, Kuman is a Barca hero. So he's the one player that if you think about, you know, in the 90s, a player that led the team alongside Guardiola, Stoichkov and Romario, it has to be Ronald Koeman. I mean, he's the one, one of the first signings that um, Cruyff actually did. Um, he was a fantastic player, was international for, for, for Holland, and then came and changed the way that Barca played. Um, he was the heart of that team. Um, not, not in the way that the tiki-taka sort of building from the back that, Piquet, Puyol as well, but I would say Piquet actually better than Puyol at bringing the ball forward. He didn't really play like that. He, he alternated bits of what Piquet does with really long balls to the sides and uh, he added a new dimension. Obviously, this was a centre-back that could push forward. Didn't always even play as a centre-back. A lot of the time he played as a, as a defensive midfielder and uh, I remember in a couple of European games actually playing him as, a, as an attacking midfielder right behind um, Stoichkov and Salinas at the time, Julio Salinas. So a fantastic player that obviously scores the most important goal, arguably in Barca history, which is the, the goal in the Wembley 1992 final, which is the, you know, the first time that Barca actually became European winners. Uh, we had played the Champions League at that time, obviously it was the European Cup final several times. Um, several years before, in 1986, um, we played in Sevilla against Basilea and we got humiliated because Basilea, we were far, far superior to, to, to Basilea, obviously, but we lost in the, in the penalties. So Cuman is the one that, that turned that around. And from that respect, he is a Barca hero. And he, regardless of what happens now, his legacy is always going to be there. Um, obviously, he knows the Entorno inside out. Um, I put it in the Facebook group the other day, um, listeners only, uh, the Barcelona podcast private group that anyone listening to this podcast can join, by the way, and that's when you get to, to pose the questions. I did say in there that, you know, he knows Barca a lot more than all of these people that keep tweeting every minute and a half about whatever's, you know, happening at Barca and having a great opinion about it. He knows Barca and he's known Barca for over 30 years. He's experienced. He knows what Dentorno can do. He knows that he could get eaten alive if he loses two or three matches. Um, he's fully aware of that. He knows the mess that he's walking into. Uh, there was an interview with Ricardo Torquemada from Catalonia Radio uh, that he gave around six months ago that um, explains exactly what his thoughts are. I think I actually explained better what his thoughts are than what he said in, the, in his first press conference today. Yeah, I agree and 100%. I saw that. Yeah, that, you're right. Going back to it, he was being honest. And as opposed to just saying what you have to in an introductory press conference, what he was saying about that core and understanding that fundamentally Barca needed to change, now he's actually going to have a hand in that. Yeah, so that's probably what he's still thinking behind closed doors, but he cannot really go into the media and say that. But obviously he did six months ago, and that's documenting. And I popped pop that up um, in the Facebook group as well. And, um, you know, he's not a nobody. So, so he's a, a legend for Barca. And he will walk into that dressing room. And when he walks into that dressing room, he's going to have everyone's respect. You know, he's not going to be like Kike Setien that was, you know, um, milking his cows two, two days before. He's going to go in there and he's going to say, guys, I've known this club for 30 years. I've been watching you play for the last 10. I know exactly what needs to happen. And uh, he's been known, as you documented in your YouTube uh, 
video, he's been known to discipline, to, to, to have the charisma and to have the cojones to actually make things happen. And uh, if he needs to sit Luis Suarez out for the season because he refuses to leave, I've got no doubt that he will. Um, he knows the mess he's walking into and I think it's a service to the club to, to actually come back. And uh, you know, and on top of all of that, there's an election blooming or happening in eight months. And uh, you know, he probably knows that he will be sacked in a, in a year's time. So for him to come to the club now, obviously from his personal perspective, it was probably a, a now or never moment for him because he's around 57 years old now. So the chance may never come again. Uh, but he knows the, the task that he's going into is very difficult. He knows he's got World Cup winners. He's got, um, you know, multiple Champions League winners that he's going to probably cut, um, using the, the American term. And he's not alien to what the job in hand has to be. And, you know, is he the right man for the club? That's debatable. But to be honest, and I know that's setting the bar very low, if he can clean up the team and he can give proper time to the youngsters coming through, like, Ansu, like Ricky, Pedri, Trincao, etc., then I think that's a season well spent, even if we don't win any titles next year. As far as the transfers go, before I even hit his coaching pedigree, I want to say the, the transfer to Coleman, I'm a little bit optimistic, not in the, as far as getting rid of players and that exodus. Again, we've talked many, many times about those challenges, but the best run clubs in this world, the Liverpool, Bayern Munich of, of late, because we even talk about Alphonse Davies. He was signed as a teenager from the MLS Canadian winger to Bayern Munich as a player that was supposed to just play on the wing, maybe start with Bayern two for a little bit and then move into it. But then they moved him back to left back and he winds up being a revelation. So where I do have a little bit of hope is that unlike the recent managers, and I'm even going back to Luis Enrique, who didn't seem to do too well with his directors, which he had a few of in his time in charge. Komen has been somebody that has always done things as a manager and worked with their technical directors in the way that I think the best clubs, again, like a Liverpool or Bayern Munich are run, where the manager says, this is the way I play. And for Coleman, I don't know exactly what it's going to be, but probably a 4 2 3 one. I'll get into that in a second. And if Coleman says, I have these positions that I would like to strengthen, I need a double, I need someone who's going to be able to play in a double pivot, or I need someone that's going to be a right wing in a front three behind a striker, whatever it may be. And Coleman says, these are, this is the profile that I'd like. Can you go out and find a player like this? And so even though it might not look like one of those guys that you're going to see on ESPN FC that every, all the talking heads are going to constantly debate about, there's so much talent in world football today. And I'm going to have an, another YouTube video out next week. And it, it was inspired a little bit by the TIFO and their Sensible Transfer series. But it's basically transfers that aren't necessarily the Toro Martinez over and over and over again. But it's players that make sense for Coleman to say, hey, in this kind of window where Barca might only have 20 to 25 million euros to spend on two to three different players, let's say they are able to get rid of five or six players from their, from their wage bills and transfer them out. And so you wind up getting, okay, we can reinforce with three players that are all worth about 20 to 25 million. That's not going to be a Galactico. That's not going to be a big player that everybody already has a jersey of. It's going to be players that are going to fit what Komen wants to do. And I think if the technical director and the manager are able to work together and transfers are not just made because of marketability and because of some kind of infatuation with the idea of this player needing to fit into what Barca is, regardless of who the manager is, that's just what hasn't worked recently. And so I do have some faith that Coleman is going to be a strong enough personality. And not to say I want to push this problem off, but if Coleman can bring the players that he would like, a few players that he would like to bring in and fit him into a system that winds up working, then maybe Coleman, and as much as Victor, Victor Font and some other of the presidential candidates have said that they only expect him to be here for a year, then they'll move on. 
But if he can wind up creating some continuity in bringing in players that fit his system, I start there and say that that's a positive thing. And that is something that his track record has proven to do, that whether he was out Seth Hampton in particular, he was able to bring in players, including Virgil van Dijk, going from Celtic to, to Southampton before moving on to Liverpool. That was a player that just fit into what he wanted to do. And it wound up being a great signing for, I think at the time it was 13 million euros. Now, the big thing here about Coleman that people are pushing back on is that he has had failures, but over the course of 20 years, and we want to again talk about recent managers, Luis Enrique was still, I'd say, a rather young manager to the position. And going back, Pep Guardiola was not an experienced manager when he took over at Barcelona. Kike Setien, he had been at Las Palmas and he had been at smaller jobs, but he still had not been a head coach for very long. And same thing with Valverde. He had success for Athletic Club, but Coleman has been a head coach all over in different leagues around Europe for 20 years now. He succeeded at Vitesse, Ajax, Southampton, and the Netherlands most recently. And he failed terribly at Valencia, AZ Alkmaar, and Everton with mixed results at PSV, Benfica, and Feyenoord. Just think about all those big, 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 big jobs. And even bringing in assistants like Larson, as well as Alfred Schrader, who people were really excited about. That's the name here, former head coach at Zvent, took over for Julian Nagelsmann, who's now at RB Leipzig, but he was with him at Hoffenheim. Then he was an assistant to Eric Ten Hag for Ajax in the young Delic team that made the Champions League semi. So Komen also was planning to reinforce his bench with some experienced names as well. And I know you hated, you were obviously going to make fun of Edder Sarabia maybe forever and ever and ever. I feel bad about that, but uh, this isn't Edder Sarabia. This is a guy that has been a head coach himself and does have some pedigree. But honestly, the more you look at the way he's managed over his career, we have no idea what to expect. So for all those that are looking at Everton and Valencia and saying doom and gloob, we have no idea. We know that Komen won't cater to egos, as we had mentioned, I said in the YouTube video, all the way back in just his first big job at Ajax, he wound up sitting a very young but terrific Zlatan Ibrahimovic, basically for being Zlatan. And that really could be a positive thing, as we said. We know that he also wanted to play a 4-3-3 for a long time. A lot of the original jobs I mentioned, leading up all the way to Valencia about 13 years ago, he wanted to do a, a, play a 4-3-3. But it, once he moved to Southampton in 2014, his first time in the Premier League, it represented a real change in his style, and he's been much more flexible since then, even if the narrative has not changed. So based on his time with the Netherlands, that is his most recent job, you would think that he's going to prefer to play a 4-2-3-1, which in 2020 seems to be the hip and happening formation that the best clubs, including Bayern Munich, like to play and like to win with. So if Messi stays, I do have a little bit of faith that that formation makes some sense right now. I would love to see Messi actually as the one up top and Puj underneath him in the middle of that three. Because if it's not the 4-3-3, it still represents a Barca principle, though. Why would you need to go through a center back when you can go around him? So it's not that Messi is going to be banging with these center backs, but playing Messi and Puj up top together, basically as almost one person to overwhelm and create a numerical advantage against these big center backs and just move around them. And as far as the defensive responsibilities for Messi in that kind of system, like Lewandowski, he doesn't, have to he doesn't have to press with intensity and try to turn the ball over on the wings. As the center forward, as the one in that 4-2-3-1, it's just about guiding the ball into the channels where the rest of your team is prepared to win the ball. And if Barca can reinforce his squad with younger players that understand their jobs, that aren't just going to be standing around and walking around next to Messi and holding hands for 90 minutes, then you're going to be able to win the ball. And that defense is going to get a lot, lot better. But again, the long-term future is the big question here that if something doesn't work and the club is going to want to move on quickly, or you think that a new presidential candidate is going to come in and, and Coleman won't even continue though. I have to say font also said that 
even though Coleman, he doesn't see as a manager, if he were to win, he does expect him or he would want him to take over some kind of other position and still be a part of the club. So whatever that may be, again, we're talking about nuance here, but as far as what Coleman's going to do, how he's going to run this club, we know what his personality is going to be as it has always been. It could either be really good and his strong disciplinary reactions might do well, or it might become a complete dempster fire and he loses the locker room like he has before. And as far as the technical stuff, he could dig in and try to play a certain way and it winds up not working and things go terribly, or he winds up being flexible. And like he's been with the Netherlands, he could just pick a formation that fits with the players he has. So all of that to be said, I was a long, long rant, too long, didn't read, is that we have no idea how this is going to go. So for all those saying it's going to be terrible, you don't know. For all those saying, oh, maybe, I don't think anyone's saying this is going to be great. I think people like me are just saying he's shown that things could go well optimistically if all the things that have ever gone right for him go right here. He could be the right man for the job at this moment. Yep. And yeah, I don't really have much to add from a tactical perspective with that. I think that for me, what stands out that is left to be said, really, because you hit a lot of points there, is the fact that he doesn't have an ideal formation, really. Um, he knows the Barca way. He's always said that he aligns himself for, you know, like he said today, like I'm from Holland and Barca and Holland always have had an attacking philosophy and we would play to win, etc., etc., etc. But he's not head over heels sold on any formation. And uh, I would say that his most recent appointments, especially at the Netherlands, are going to be very, very positive because um, he showed that he can adapt to the players that he's got in there. Um, as you said, the 4-2-3-1 seems to be a, a, a great step forward. I agree with that. So the only point left for me to add is to say that he really needs to choose who the flag bearer is going to be for the, his, his team. I would say it would make sense to obviously trust Messi to do it. But as I said at the very beginning of the podcast today, there needs to be someone else that would be a fixture and would be, in, in, in a way, the, the soul of the team. And I think Frankie the Young, really, because of his proximity, the fact that he knows him inside out, he's already hinted that um, he needs to play in his ideal position. And, and he did quickly say all players do um, need to play uh, wherever they're the most comfortable. I think that giving, you know, giving the keys of the engine to, to Frankie the Young uh, would be a great idea moving forward. And then obviously we've got the incognita of you know, what Dembele will be able to do next year. Is he going to be one of these white wingers that could come and unbalance games? Is he going to be fit enough from the beginning? Is he going to stay fit? Which players are going? Which players are coming? We don't actually know. I mean, um, Van der Beek has been mentioned um, as a potential signing that doesn't seem to be too expensive. And to be honest, when you bring a new manager at a club like Barca, you really have to make some allowances for them to bring on players that he will be able to trust. So if he thinks that that would be a good um, solution. Then, unfortunately, given the situation that Bartomeu has driven the club into, and even though he doesn't seem to think it's a problem, the financial part of it, everything is, you know, you need to blame it on, on, on coronavirus, which really is just, you know, short-sighted. But anyway, the way out needs to be shown and finalized before anyone can come in. Uh, but I would say that there has to be some leeway for Kuman to choose um, at least two or three signings of people that he trusts, um, unless, and which he said in his press conference as well, unless he sees that that position that he could potentially feel from someone from the outside already doesn't need filling because he already has the talent either in the current squad or in the Barca B squad, which obviously is the right thing to say when you're appointed a Barca manager. Um, you know, Setien said all of those things. We just need to make it happen. And uh, I think he's got the charisma, experience, and know how to do it. So, so let's see what happens here. I'm not very hopeful about the transfer business and what's going to happen there. 
but I, I've, I have talked myself into, after doing all that research, I have talked myself into being positive that Ronald Koeman is the right man for the moment. Maybe not the right man to win a Champions League, but the right man for the moment in the chaos that Barca is in. And as I've said, this could really be a dumpster fire because of the strong personality that he is. But I do have a little bit of faith that Barca's squad at the moment is young enough to be receptive to what I was saying. Again, if it is a 4-2-3-1, and things might change if he doesn't want to play that way, but with Puj as that top of that three, you have Pedri who would fit perfectly as on that left wing along with Dembele and Fati. You have players, Trincao, on the, on the left, I mean, on the right side of that 4-2-3-1, basically playing the same position he plays at Braga. You have De Jong who would fit, and then looking at Pjanic, trying to make the most of him, even though Pjanic, I don't think he was, again, brought in to help Barcelona. He was brought in because of money reasons. So he could still, though, play a double pivot with De Jong. And Busquets, I think, getting the best out of De Jong and Busquets together is really important. So I, I look at the squad that Barcelona are intending to have when you're trying to phase out some of those veterans. I think that's a formation that fits the, the guys that are going to be in training. But as you said, Van de Beek, he could come in and, and take the spot and or at least be sharing the spot up top in that forward three line with Puj. We don't know what we're going to expect there. So yeah, there's a lot uh, to be questioned. And as I said, I think Coleman, what I actually do trust him with is if he can put his fingerprint on the transfer business. And as soon as he can do that, I think would be a positive sign. But I, I, I always see reports that, oh, Barcelona aren't interested in this player. But I, I think no offense to Roman Planas, but over the last few seasons, I'm not really sure I trust so much with the club, who the club is interested in. I'm more interested to see who Coleman wants to bring in to make his squad click in the way that he does. And, and speaking of making a squad click, we're going to end the show really quickly, not really much of a segment, just to tell people that this whole chaos and all this mess, Frances, you alluded to it earlier. Barca Femini don't get that much attention, but I did want to take the end of the show here for a, a platform to say that the Barca Femini this season, they haven't played now for a long, long time. So things could get ugly on Friday against Atletico Madrid. But where I compliment the Barca Femini is at stability. We see, you can see in the Barca colors, even though there's still that ugly checkered pattern, you can see that stability has been key and is so important to what they do under Luis Cortez this season. They're going to be taking on Atletico Madrid, as I said on Friday. Hopefully that match does go on, barring Atletico's positive COVID tests, which are worrisome and did destroy Atletico Madrid's training sessions. But Atletico are a team that are in flux. And the Femini this season, they won the league for the first time since 2015. They're still alive in the Copa de la Reina, and they are a good squad. They added Jenny Hermoso and Asishat Ashola. This season has been fantastic. Both of them excellent. 23 goals for Hermoso and 20 for Ashola. Puteas has also added 10 goals from the midfield. And that's a team as well. You want to talk about stability. They play the Barca 4-3-3. They play, quote-unquote, the Barca way. They have two center forwards that basically oscillate, and Ashola can also play out on the wing. And Cortez just has his team built. They are clicking. A few years ago, you heard we always talk about Lucky Martins because she was voted the best player in the world. She's been injury-ridden and had a rough season. And yet the Femini aren't just revolving around who was at one point two, three years ago their best player. But if Martins can wind up recovering from her injuries and be 85 to 90% of the player that she was prior to the last year and a half when she's had those issues, the Femini just get even better. And they weren't just dependent on one player. Stability and adding the right pieces. Again, picking up Ashola last year on loan and then signing her to a permanent deal. That's just easy business because you brought her in, it worked, and it wound up making sense. So I would implore anybody that says everything is terrible. I don't want to watch anyone. I know you don't want to watch the Femini, but there is a club currently at Barcelona that have stability, that are a really good squad. Are they going to beat Wolfsburg or Lyon in the Champions League if they get past Atletico Madrid? 
not real. I mean, maybe not, but also maybe because this is the best squad for Femini that I think we've ever seen. So I'm excited for that. I just wanted to put it out there, put it into the universe that I'm excited to see what they can do on Friday. And so for all the other chaos, I know that the first team and the men's division of everything is what makes all the money and what pushes the club forward and what brings in so many of the fans. But I just hope for Kool-Aid is that the club through and through the Femini is something I'm excited about. I just want to put that out there. I'm just very happy. You're so excited. Um, I wish I could share all the love and, and, you know, butterflies in the stomach that you are, that you are sharing. Unfortunately, I don't really share it. Um, I really appreciative of, of every section of the club. Um, the youngsters, the, the, the basketball team, all of them, the, the hockey team, the handball team, and obviously the, the feminine team as well, the, the women's team. I find it hard to get excited about it, but at the same time, I'm very happy they're doing well. Um, there are, Alexia was actually born in my hometown where I was born. So Alexia Putellas, and you mentioned Putellas earlier. Um, so that, that's another you know, added uh, bonus for me to, to, to watch the Femini. And I will be watching them. But you know, maybe it's just me, really. I, I can't think away from the first team. But you know, for a couple of hours at least, let's just park that up. Yep. And I wish them all the best in, in the rest yeah. of the season so that they can bring as much success as possible. Right. It's the same thing with Barcelona B, same thing with Masia. They can win all the trophies they want, but obviously the first team does push things forward. But yeah, as I said, the Femini is part of the bigger picture. So I'm excited for that. And I just hope people don't try to use the Femini almost as a, a tool to say, well, you're going to hide behind the Femini and say they're doing well. So therefore everything is good because obviously, yes, well, we spent this whole Dan, show talking about the chaos everywhere else. He's already hiding, isn't he? He's, he's hiding and no one can take him off his chair. So it really doesn't matter what people say. He's holding onto his seat. Um, despite everyone, I would say 99% of people around the world agreeing that he should have stepped down now. Yeah. So unfortunately that's where we're going to leave it, but we are going to be continuing to talk again. By the time you make get this in your ears, Barca might have, I don't know if they're going to have gotten rid of a player by then, but there might be a player that is seen to be coming in or Coleman might have another conversation about the way he wants to play. So there's going to be a lot to be talking about. Again, we are three weeks away from the season even starting. So we are basically already in preseason. Wild times, Frances, a lot to discuss moving forward. As I said, we always mention Pedri and Trincao, but I don't even think we've even broken down the X's and O's and what those players could mean to Barca this coming season as they are going to look a lot younger. Whether the other players are still in the locker room, Barca are going to look a lot younger on the field. That is what Coleman has promised, and that's going to be, I think, the first big change you're going to see. So the big change I want to see from our podcast next week, as I said, for those who are still with us, is that I can fix the audio. So I want to thank everyone for listening to the audio that we had it as it is today. And I hopefully next week we will be right back to it. So thanks so much for listening to this. You can tap in your app and check out the show notes to subscribe. You can find us on social media. We're on Twitter at the Barcelona pod or at hope and D 13 for me on Instagram at the Barcelona pod, close Facebook group, TV link backslash group for deeper dives, discussions, all that. But Patreon is why I would making those quick take match reviews. And you can also help support the show financially there. TV link backslash Patreon. And we're also on YouTube, as we had mentioned too. I have special features there that just wind up working more in a visual way than an audio way. So that's on the Barcelona Podcast YouTube channel. So check us out there and hit that subscription button. And thanks so much for listening to the Barcelona Podcast. Until next time, we'll talk to you soon. Forza Barca. Forza. Sports are coming back, and so are your chances to bet on your favorite teams and events. Major League Baseball is back in action, and there's no better place to start wagering than our exclusive partners, Bet Online. Check out all the odds, features, and props to bet on, all available 24 7. 
And with the return of sports, Bet Online sat down with former pro players Eddie George, Harold Reynolds, and seven-time NBA champ Robert Ory. See what they had to say on what it'll be like playing without fans in a series they're calling Fandemic. Visit BetOnline.ag for your odds and up-to-date sports news. Remember to use promo code BLUEWIRE to receive your new welcome bonus. That's promo code BLUEWIRE. BetOnline, your online wagering experts. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.